Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 240, Timescape. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Billy Pilgrim. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages, moral... ...ship plays backwards, then freezes as Data, Deanna, and Jordy watch. Act four. Wait, Data's wait, tri- wait. Hold the phone. It, um, it happened again. Wait, seriously? Yeah, yeah, it's cool, though. I'll just um, rewind time again. Um, hang on. Or, you know, don't. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 240, Timescape. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Billy Pilgrim. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the episode holds up today and tomorrow, or tomorrow and today, whichever comes first. This week, it's Backwards Day on the Enterprise. Then we fast forward a bit to when it's Backwards Day again. It's Timescape, the one where Captain Picard grows his nails out goes a bit funny. Also, Romulans. I've got trivia coming up, but first... But first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you would like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, uh, John did a thing earlier that they talk about in the uh, in the industry. And when I say the industry, I, of course, mean the business. He uh, He teased trivia earlier. He teased trivia. And now, trivia. Ken, I'm a master teaser. That was a master segue. That, well, good yeah. going. It was good right up until the part uh, where the word segue was mentioned. Mm-hmm. Today's episode, Timescape, is written by Brannon Braga. Now, we know that among the many types of storytelling that Brannon likes, messing around with time is right up there. Now, he toyed with the concept quite a bit in Cause and Effect, which we now know as Groundhog Day in Space. But in this one, he really wanted to take things further by changing scale, by having time behave differently at different places in the story. Now, the original idea was not his. Uh, That actually goes to Mark Jared O'Connell. However, he is not credited for this episode, even though he pitched the original idea. He just basically phrased it as a ship stuck in time, as if it were caught in amber and go. Now, don't worry about Mark. Uh, His name will appear a few times credited in episodes of Deep Space Nine when he makes four story contributions there. And today's episode is directed by Adam Nimoy. And, you know, if we thought that LeVar Burton had it rough with special effects in his episode last week, Second Chances, you can better believe that Adam Nimoy had a very difficult task in front of him with this episode. Now, Adam directed Rascals earlier this season, and it was felt like he should be given a chance to show a little more as a director and not be saddled with the kid show. Now, the effects in this, of course, are very complex. You have combinations of effects styles, again, split screen, blue screen, and of course, actors standing very, very still. Continuity nightmare. Now, the runabout model that we see um, has already been put to use on Deep Space Nine in order of production here, but this set, that magnificent interior set with kind of that banquet room, meeting room sort of thing that they're all hanging out in, that was actually built special for Next Gen. They had the bigger budget, and that large interior was never used again. 
<laughs> so it was sort of like, hey, we're going to borrow your production resources to build this great set. Won't it be great? We can all use it later. Oops. Uh, it just never got used again. It would have been fantastic for like, you know, weddings, bar mitzvahs, engagement parties, anniversary parties. Yeah, maybe. It, it would have been perfect for all of that. Two bad guys. Yeah. All right. So uh, two guest stars, really, that we want to point out this week. The primary alien that we meet this time around, a time-shifting being in Romulan disguise, is played by Michael Buffshever. Now, we would actually have met him before, but we didn't. He shot a scene as the engineer aboard the Excelsior for Star Trek VI, but it was cut. However, his name remained in the credits. Um, he also has an appearance in Deep Space Nine, and he's been in features like United 93, in addition to showing up in TV guest appearances and video game voice work. Joining him as the other alien, though uncredited, is Patricia Tallman. Now, she's already been in two other Next Gen episodes, uh, the only one credited being Power Play. She has a handful more Trek credits coming up in both Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and she's an actor with a lot of memorable roles under her belt. Did I mention last time that she was the waitress in the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club in Austin Powers? Because if I didn't, she was, and I love her for it. And she also shows up far more regularly in Babylon 5, of course, as Lita Alexander. Mission Log a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 240, Timescape. Prologue. Commander Riker is being attended to by Dr. Crusher. There's a bad scratch on his head, caused by Data's cat. Apparently Spot hates it when Riker comes by to feed him. When he's called back to the bridge, Riker is informed of a distress call from a Romulan ship which is experiencing total systems failure. They'll change course to rendezvous and go to red alert just in case. Some distance away, Captain Picard, Data, Dana Troy, and Jordi LaForge are in the Enterprise's runabout ship returning home from a conference. They're engaged in the time-honored tradition of making fun of other conference attendees, and Data is trying to make sense of it all. LaForge is describing a great experience he had, though, actually being able to touch a plasma field. Then, in the middle of his story, he freezes. Actually, everything in the room freezes. Everybody is simply motionless. Except for Deanna, who, needless to say, is a bit freaked out. A moment later, everyone else is carrying on right where they dropped off, and Deanna's shock leads us into the opening credits. Act 1. Nothing is wrong, per se, with anybody. They all check out on the tricorder, and even Data says his internal chronometer is synced up with the ship. Deanna didn't sense anything weird empathically. They just all froze and then unfroze. Maybe it was just stress? Maybe, except now it's Deanna's turn. She freezes in mid-conversation, only to wake up again with Picard, Data, and Geordi standing around her, a tricorder reading indicates that time just stopped for her for about three minutes. Whatever is happening, Picard decides they had better step on it to meet the Enterprise. Only the Enterprise isn't responding, and stepping on it results in their starboard nacelle completely draining of energy, leaving the runabout to fly erratically. There's no leak, but they have no fuel. Data has an answer, though. That nacelle has been in continuous operation for 47 ding-ding-ding days according to sensors. Even though they've only been flying a short time, it's like the engine aged prematurely. And so did the bowl of fruit that was sitting on the table, now rotten and brown when it was fresh only moments ago. And the next thing that ages is Picard's hand in a painful way when he reaches for the fruit. There's a temporal disturbance, essentially making time move 50 times faster than normal in part of the ship, what they'll have to do now is fly away from it, but those disturbances are everywhere. Time is flowing at different rates all around them. When they finally do arrive to meet the Enterprise, what they find is their home ship, seemingly frozen in battle with a Romulan warbird. Act 2. With the Enterprise frozen and no answers to be gained sitting outside, the four in the runabout devise a plan to beam themselves over, but protected from the time distortion by wearing personal subspace force fields. 
see also Star Trek the Animated Series. LaForge stays behind in the runabout, but what the other three find is chaos. Romulans on the bridge, blast marks, security teams dispatched, but everything and everyone is simply frozen in whatever position they were. The three split up to make sense of the situation. When Deanna goes to sickbay, she finds that one Romulan has fired his disruptor and it has hit Dr. Crusher directly. She's frozen in partial disintegration. In shock, Deanna leaves the room. But then one of those frozen Romulans actually moves after seeing her. Act 3. In the transporter room, Picard finds three more Romulans who have beamed over. Worf is at the controls. Something odd, though. The Romulans are unarmed. And why was Worf beaming them over during a battle in the first place? Deanna tells Picard about finding Beverly. Surely she will die if time returns to its normal state. Just then, they're interrupted by Data, who needs to see them in engineering. The situation is more dire than expected. The Enterprise warp core is breaching. Time isn't frozen. It's moving at an imperceptible rate. And at this rate, the Enterprise will be obliterated in about nine hours. The explosion has occurred, and there's no way to stop it. They might get some answers, though, aboard the Romulan ship, at least to answer why the Enterprise was transferring power to it when the explosion began. Picard's reaction is... laughter? Like when he got stabbed in the heart? It's a little different than that. The time distortions are having a psychological effect on Picard, a kind of psychosis the longer he stays there. There's not much they can do about it other than limiting how long they stay in the other time frame. Picard will stay behind in the runabout while the other three beam over to the Romulan ship. What they find is the whole crew frozen in place, but they were evacuating, not at battle stations. They were trying to shut down the power transfer. Something else really weird, the Romulan engine is completely shut down, which is impossible. They don't use old-fashioned dilithium like the Enterprise. They use an artificial quantum singularity. Once you fire it up, there is no shutting it down. Only one thing to do, open up that engine core and see what's... Hey, there is a huge temporal distortion right on top of where the engine core should be. And there are other little distortions floating around on top of that. Data examines the area with his tricorder. He thinks this may well be the focal point of the distortions they've experienced. What's even stranger, those dark spots are bioelectric. They could be organic. But then something goes wrong. There's a pulse of energy and time resumes as it had been. There's a lot of concern on the Romulan ship about the energy transfer. And one of those Romulans looks a little strange, like he's worried about something else entirely. Before anyone can do anything about it, Captain Picard watches helplessly from the runabout as the Enterprise explodes. But before you can say, Imperial Battleship, halt the flow of time, the whole thing plays back in reverse. The Enterprise is there again, and the activity in the Romulan ship plays backwards, then freezes as Data, Deanna, and Geordi watch. Act 4. Data's tricorder kicked off the replay, but now that everything is frozen again, they can assess what happened. There was some kind of energy feedback that the Romulans were trying to stop. LaForge goes to a terminal to see what he can figure out, but that odd Romulan doesn't seem to be where he was the last time around, and then he reaches out for Geordi. And in some kind of shock, they're both thrown to the floor. Geordi is dying. But Deanna removes his force field generator. At least he can be frozen in this state while they try to figure out what's happening. The Romulan who tried to take him out isn't a Romulan. Aboard the runabout, they examine the interloper. He doesn't belong here as it looks like his cells are in a state of temporal flux. And yeah, if you can put two and two together, just like Data and Picard, there's a similarity between that being cellular structure and the unknown organic traces Data was picking up in that weird vortex. Only this one's more mature, as if the ones in the vortex were a kind of embryo. The aliens waking up, he confirms what they thought. Their young are trapped in the Romulan engine core because of its artificial gravity well. A natural gravity well, like a black hole, would work, but an artificial one doesn't. They have to get them out or they will die. This is what deactivated the Romulan engine core, and the Enterprise was responding to help. The power transfer is what disrupted the space-time continuum. The alien is dying, though, phasing out of existence. There's one more like him. 
but before he can give details, he's gone. Act 5. So with time slowed down again, they're still only a couple of hours away from the Enterprise blowing up for good this time. They won't be able to beam the warp core away, so the only option they have is to use the time distortion to their advantage. The tricorder scan caused time to move forward, then backward. So what about the reverse? Data thinks it is possible. They'll need to prevent the power transfer in the first place, then there won't be a breach, All is set up, a tricorder to scan the area does its job, and time starts to flow in reverse. Deanna is in position in sickbay and watches as the Romulan disruptor discharges away from Dr. Crusher. The breach contains itself, but as Data gets into position to stop the power transfer, the other Romulan, who is not a Romulan, tries to stop him. She's one of the aliens, like the one we met before, and like touching Geordi, a touch to Data knocks them both to the floor. And then time starts to flow forward again. A crewman starts the transfer just before Data can stop it, but quickly Data commands a containment field around the warp core. There's still trouble, though. Systems on the bridge are being knocked out, and so is Commander Riker, who is being helped up, not being knocked down by a Romulan. Picard quickly goes into action, commanding the evacuation of the Romulan ship, along with LaForge being sent directly to sickbay. And, speaking of sickbay, Deanna knocks the disruptor away from the Romulan, getting Dr. Crusher to safety, but it wasn't the doctor he was firing at. It was the alien in Romulan form. That alien, the one who knocked out Data temporarily, is still unconscious in engineering. What's worse, that core breach is still imminent, and the navigational control on the Enterprise can't handle getting them away. With the runabout there, though, Picard can use it remotely to fly into the beam, severing the connection, and instantly the Romulan ship disappears along with that unconscious, time-hopping alien. Fortunately, the core breach is off, and space-time has returned to normal, along with those aliens, to their realm. In a move for Federation-Romulan relations, the Enterprise is carrying the evacuated crew back to the neutral zone. Meanwhile, Data is trying to learn the nuances of how perception of time is different for humans. That old axiom of a watched pot never boils? Well, he's confused since it always does and always in the same amount of time. Riker reminds Data that he's got an internal chronometer. How about switching it off since, you know, humans don't have one? Data does. A little more chit-chat about shift times, and before you know it, Data looks genuinely surprised when the kettle in front of him starts to whistle. The end. Thank you for doing the recap. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I don't want to be that guy... This really wasn't your best recap. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Why is that? Well, you just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic, so I did not have a chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. Yeah, it, it, Picard's impression of Dr. Vassbinder, it's legendary. This is stuff of, yes. of legend. And you can actually see really good use of this and, and many more Picard moments in Pogo's video, Data and Picard, if you search mm-hmm. for that on YouTube. So good, because it's so kind of musical in a weird way um but but seriously can we just go back to what happened in the in the teaser segment here uh they're just sitting around making fun of people yes and and on one hand on one hand that's terrible (laughs) on the other hand it's so great (laughs) because it's so relatable you know, of all the times that I've complained about people in Next Gen not knowing a good party or, or just being so consumed with work, it's really nice to have a scene that is so human. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's very much the four of them sitting around going, boy, this guy. Am I right? <laughs> boy, <laughs> right. other people right. than us, huh? Yeah. Yes, they're, they're a good working group. Yeah. And, and two of the names there, Wagner and Fassbinder, those were people that Brannon knew. Yeah. So, you know, as is the writer's tradition, you slip in a name for for somebody that you know. So he's making fun of one of his friends. Oh, totally. On national television. And two of them. Two of them. Yeah. Basically, he's saying one is a sleaze and the other one's boring. (laughs) And that becomes a meme forever. (laughs) Right. Nice. Right. Nice. Uh, we also learned in this episode that cats are terrible, mm-hmm. uh, at least Data's cat. And I just wonder, look, you can replicate puppies. Can you just replicate a cat that isn't a total jerk? 
Yeah, well, I don't think we've actually established that we can replicate puppies. I think you and I have sort of assumed that they're replicating puppies, but I think I, we're actually... I think I, I have to believe that they replicated puppies. I have to. It's the only way I can sleep at night. I think they're just growing dogs on the Enterprise for whatever reason. <laughs> okay. uh, what's really interesting, though, is we've talked about how... Um, how Star Trek has changed as it's passed from, you know, being under the control of Gene Roddenberry to under the control of other people. Mm-hmm. Hatred of cats is is a constant. Hatred of cats runs all the way back to the original series. I mean, there's love of cats, too. Cat spa, man. Cat spa, yeah. exactly. What did, what did Spock say? The most reprehensible, disgusting, vile, most evil creatures on the planet, I believe, is I think you, something I think like you that. might have overstated that a little bit, but I think you're very close. I think you're very close. Yeah. I, and I have to correct myself, too. On the planets, not just on yeah, the planet. Yeah, in the universe. Yeah. In, the in the universe. universe. Now, they did try to make up for it with Morass. Uh, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Is that the noise yeah. she made, Kurt? No, it was meow. Yeah, she purrs. She purrs. Meow, meow, ship on the left, meow. Was that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that what it was? Just like that. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it's just interesting to see the hatred of cats. And yet, love of cats, too. I mean, it's basically like um, it's basically like every cat person. Every now and then, you're like, ah, enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cat people are like that even with their own cats. I'm not saying I'm like that with cat people. They're... Some of my best friends are cat people. Let's move on. So remember, direct all email to Ken this week. <laughs> I'm going to end up with like 12 subscriptions to Cat Fancy this Christmas. Right. And I will not right. have signed it's, up for any of them. It's going to be hundreds of cat memes in your inbox. It'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, so again, phasers are everywhere in sickbay. And, mm-hmm. and apparently they, uh, the safety is on all the time because no problem if you just casually toss one across the room to somebody. Dude, that bothered me. <laughs> if Riker had seen like Barkley do that. Oh, man. We'd never hear the end of it. No. If Worf had seen Riker do that, it would have been a mm-hmm. stern look. But Riker just throws, you know, a gun yeah. A perpetually loaded gun. <laughs> yeah. At the yeah. chief medical officer. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what they do. That's how they roll on the Enterprise. They have fun. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. Oh man. I I thought you know, I kept I, I rewound that a bit to make sure okay, that was a phaser because I thought maybe it was like a, a hypo with a, an extremely powerful sedative in it. <laughs> You know, like here, take this, knock the cat out for about six days. Right. I won't have to feed it. Yeah. The the runabout that I mentioned, uh, that ship is really nice on the inside. I love how like you have a cockpit and you just had this big common room. We didn't get to see, do they have quarters? How does that, but they have this huge kind of dining room, meeting room. It's like a, it's like a Hyatt boardroom, but it goes at warp speed. Yeah. Which is great. Now, why would data at one point need to activate automatic helm control. This is before they realized what was going on, before the, they were in the, the time distortion field. Um, it seems like it would just always be on automatic. Like, was he, because we don't know how many days out from the Enterprise they are. Was he just literally sitting there flying it, like, okay, straight line, straight line, straight line, straight line. Honestly, I think they just left whatever planet the conference was on. Because they're just sitting down to their meal. They're just talking about how the conference went. They're just making fun of everybody. They're, ju- they're just starting to make fun of everybody, right? right. So my thinking is right. they, they really just left where they were. And you don't usually do that on autopilot. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I got that, you know, get out of the atmosphere. Right. And not on autopilot. Although, you know, you might want to you know, have some automation there. I just, sometimes I think they just want to give data a job. Well, <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So what you're saying is, though, his job is to walk away from his job at the beginning of this show. Sometimes. All right. Sometimes. Yeah. Hey, did you notice uh, Deanna tapping her neck the way that she taught Barclay to do in order to calm down? Yeah. That was a nice little little callback. There's a lot of references and callbacks in this episode. Um, And and by the way, good rule on Star Trek. um, When something could just be a mild psychological phenomenon brought on by exhaustion... It's never that. It's always something crazy. It always has to do with aliens. You should always be really nervous. It's not to say, like, oh, I'm tired. I'm, I, I should probably get some more sleep. No, it probably means that an alien is trying to abduct you. <laughs> Riker. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll tell you what I really wish had happened, though. And maybe it will, because it's been a long time since I've watched season seven. But we're at the very end of season six now. Yep. I would like for all of season seven, just Picard every now and then to draw a smiley face on something. <laughs> yeah. 
just like with his finger, he just he like really a should. smiley face, yeah. and just like, <laughs> and then move on from there. Yeah, I think that'd be kind of fun. That'd be nice. So I, you know, uh, I like you know some of the Apple gear that uh, yeah. that the kids like so much these days. Yeah, yeah. I've got an Apple Watch. And I use my Apple Watch to keep track of some things like my heart rate and, you know, calories burned in a day. And um, mm-hmm. sometimes I check the time. I yeah. keep track of a lot of stuff there. But uh, I'm a little weirded out by by how much we know about ourselves in the future. So mm-hmm. Troy is like sitting there and then she's frozen. And they say, wow, you were frozen for three minutes and 11 seconds. 3.11. What? What? Say, you're frozen for three minutes, 11 seconds. And Jordy says, oh, this is weird. You should have aged mm-hmm. 23 minutes, but you've only aged 20. Mm. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. We're going to be that precise in the future. Yeah. Um, it, cellular decay, apparently, you, you can measure that accurately with a tricorder if you tell it what to look for. See, I have a little bit of a different feeling about this. I, I think that's actually a pretty lovely sentiment. And I hope that one day... For someone special, I can put on like a Valentine's Day card, like, my dear, you have not aged a year. It's more (laughs) like you've aged 364 days. Exactly. Yes. You know? You slow my cellular decay, my love. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's such a lovely thing to to say to somebody. Or you make it feel as if my cellular decay has slowed. In fact, it is decaying. I am decaying. We are all decaying exactly as fast as we should. Yeah. Yeah, except for you. You shaved like a good three minutes off. <laughs> right. More power to you. Yeah. Way to go, you. Hey, uh, let's see. Another deep reference here. Picard talks about the subspace force field like they used on Davidia 2 mm-hmm. uh, times arrow, which is good because you don't even think about that. Like, I, I don't think about Davidia 2. I think times arrow, Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. But you had this whole other plot line going on with the aliens at Davidia 2, and they could just kind of walk around and watch those guys eat souls all day long. Um Another deep reference, Troy saying uh, that she, well, uh, Picard pointing out that she stayed several days on a Romulan ship, and she did as a reluctant spy in face of the enemy. So it was really nice to see all these little little bits come back. Yeah. Yeah, deepest reference of all, though, and you actually mentioned it during the recap, uh, personal force fields, just like in the cartoon. Yes. Cartoons yes. to life right here. And it's amazing. And I feel certain we're going to see these all the time now, right? Totally, man. That's yeah. so, you don't need spacesuits anymore. You just exactly. have that. Yeah, You're just good. Walk around on the hall. Yeah, true Q. Who cares? I got my personal thing. I'll be outside. Yep. So not to be too much of a nerd, and I know it's like off mic, you and I have already had an amazingly nerdy conversation that people make. <laughs> yes, yes, that um, happens. But Jordy on the shuttle uh, doesn't want to beam the away team from one part of the Enterprise to the other because the shuttle has limited power and their force field to use a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Does this mean that their force fields are actually being powered by the shuttle rather than some sort of rechargeable battery? Yeah, right. Because it, if that's the case, I mean, points for really, truly wireless power management, right? Yeah. But battery life sucks in the 24th century. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got that little thing. But if it's actually getting power, I was a little confused by that. And, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I talk enough about gadgets during my other you know, or uh, one third of the other part of my life. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's really strange to me that he says, no, no, those take up way too much power because yeah, I'm really, you're doing that now. Right. Okay. You should <laughs> right. probably turn off the lights then until we get back. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and don't replicate any more fruit. It'll just go bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, interesting note. Should you ever be trapped on a Romulan ship? Uh, you can just open up their engine core barehanded. Kind of amazing. It's like literally, yeah, it's like if I were to walk across a room and like straighten a photo that's not quite hanging right mm-hmm. on the wall, a framed picture, it, it's essentially like that. Yeah, it usually takes me and my mechanic about a minute and a half to figure out how to get my hood up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. The Romulans are a trusting people. Yeah. Well... They trust other Romulans, maybe. Um, I also think, you think it's cool that you can just open up the hood on a Romulan ship? I think it's cool that they can all read Romulan. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that happened. We often talk about, wow, they can all just speak perfect English. And I always, you know, I tend to argue, well, there's a translator at work, and so that's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with Mm -hmm. that. But they're not all wearing visors. And as far as we know, Jordy's visor doesn't translate. It just, you know, lets him see. 
And I can't believe I just said it just lets him see. I mean, yeah. it's bringing eyesight to the blind. I'll give you that. Literally. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it translates. That's the thing. And so then when Jordy's like, hey, look at this. I just wanted everybody else to be like, I, I, I don't know what I'm looking at. And he's like, yeah, me neither. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they kept walking right. around reading stuff. Can you tell what's happening if you go to the con? Oh, yeah, totally. I can absolutely do that. Let me just walk over there and read Romulan. Of, oh, I, mm-hmm. I, my apologies. I'm sorry. I was a jerk. I can tell what's going on at the con. I'm sure that Jordy downloaded WordLens for his visor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certain he's got nice. it. Nice. Hey, good news. WordLens, 24th century. You're still going. Way to, uh-huh. way to go. Yeah. yeah. Good good going, guys. Much better than Pets.com. A spot. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they may make a comeback, by the way. I'm sure the, the name is still available. Um by the way, so that alien voice reverb mm-hmm. on the, the two time-jumping aliens, I really like that. It reminded me of, if you remember in V, the original miniseries, they all sounded like that, and that was really cool. And it was not an easy effect to do at the time, so they just gave up on it by the time the series was made. They were like, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. It's entirely too expensive and too time-consuming, the more dialogue you have. But it was really nicely done to effect here. Um, Oh, and I was also really pleased that they managed to work in two obvious time travel cliches, you know, lines like giving Picard the lines, oh, we have plenty of time, and then he says to Riker, it's going to take a little time. <laughs> so, so <laughs> clever. You, you, know, you think about him drawing smiley faces, I think about the big book of, you know, Picard dad jokes that he's got that he's just going to bust out. Boy, if I had a nickel for every time that happened <laughs> oh, oh well played ken yes i'd have a dime well, by the way so it really it wasn't yeah. it wasn't overdone sorry about earlier temporal displacement seems to be sort of an issue today so let's bank the shuttle back around to something that we passed earlier mm-hmm what do you make of the group laugh at Deanna being hit on at the professional conference setting? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Now, I mean, here's the thing. Yeah, professionals, adults, all getting together. Yep. You know, all with common interests. Somebody might hit on somebody. Somebody may proposition somebody. And that, I mean, that's, that's consenting adults doing consenting adults things, right? Mm-hmm. This is an old trope. Uh, she's there with friends, and so she's joking about this thing that happened. And yet there was something about it that made me a tiny bit uncomfortable, because I couldn't tell if the guy was... Well, I mean, he got her name wrong. Yeah. He winked, according to what she said. I mean, this sounds less like, hey, you and I have similar interests. I wonder what other interests we might share. And more like, hey, sweetie, why don't you come on back to my place? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's not, I don't know how big a deal to make of it, but there was something about it that I think the fact that everybody was just laughing about it kind of made me a wee bit uncomfortable. At the same time, it's not like she was filing a, you know, a complaint with human resources. I I don't know. There was something about it that, that struck me as just a tiny bit off. There's an element of it that made me uncomfortable. And again, watching it over and over again, you, you kind of you kind of can't help that. You know? That could be it. That could yeah. be it. Because it's the first 30 seconds of a 48-minute show, right? And by the time yeah. most people get to the end of it, you're not sitting there going, well, I just can't believe that that fictional character that we didn't even see treated Deanna this way. Right. But I mean, right. when but, you and I sit here and watch it nine times, okay, yeah. not nine, but when you and I sit in here and watch it a few times. Somewhere between two and nine. Yes. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, but it, here's the thing. We also know of Deanna that she's a pretty strong, capable woman who can take care of herself and can yes. solve this problem, nip this in the bud if it became a problem. So we don't doubt that about her. And and here's the thing. Knowing what we know about Deanna and, say, maybe the on-again, off-again, totally in denial about their relationship uh, with her and Riker mm-hmm. – um, that pretty much she is left to her own devices and she can do whatever she pleases right. or reject anyone who displeases her. Right. So, yeah. So the idea that somebody would hit on somebody at a conference, not out of the question today or the 24th century. Um, but the thing that's creepy about it is, yes, it's Jordy's response. Jordy's response is terrible. I mean, honestly, <laughs> really there were two is. things that struck me as creepy, like the the... 
I mean, Picard wasn't doubled over in laughter. Maybe it was mm-hmm. just polite laughter. Maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, may, or maybe he was genuinely amused. I don't know. But he wasn't like, oh, that's great. I'll have to try that sometime. So, I mean, he wasn't going too far. But at the same time, I was sort of like, really? That's a thing Picard would laugh at. Okay, interesting. But Jordy's response is like, oh, yeah, that guy's a total latch. But, you know, he does know his stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's sort yeah of like, right. That's sort right. of like, so we'll give him a little bit of a pass. Say what you want to about the juice. He could throw a football. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right, right. Okay, while that is technically true, that's actually not what we say about him anymore. You know? <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And so, so for Jordy to say, oh, yeah, he's handsy, but, you know, he's smart. Mm-hmm. Okay. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. That. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Now, I will say, you talked about uh, Troy. And and what a strong character she is. And and we've known her to be a strong character. In fact, there was somebody who has said, or people have said, and I don't remember if you're among them or not, mm-hmm. but there are people who say that, that uh, Troy actually became a stronger character, became a more strongly written character once they put her in a uniform. We, we may actually have Jellicoe to thank for, for Troy right. being a stronger character because he was the one who yeah. was like, lose the skirt, put on a uniform, you're on my bridge, put on a uniform, crying out loud. And she does. And then, like, I mean, it seems to me that since that happened, she has actually been written in stronger ways. I don't know if that was intentional or if that's just, you know, something that we're all making up because we see her in a uniform now. Yeah. But it seems like a lot more has been expected of her character in terms of strength, um, especially over the past season, maybe the past two seasons. Well, uh, you know, I'll put it this way. I don't think it hurts that Mm -hmm. we put Deanna in a uniform. It certainly does not hurt. It's about time that that happened. Yeah. Um, I think there, there are a couple other competing factors here. One is that with this writing staff, and we've talked about this before on our show, how they'll write a script and then they'll kind of realize, you know what, we haven't done enough with this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, this show's been going on six, now going into a seventh season. We haven't done enough with this character, so we should really give some of this to this other character. Or I particularly like this character, which is underdeveloped. We should you know, put a little more effort toward that character. So I, I think part of that is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing that's happening here is a little bit unfair. We tend to remember the repetitive stuff on Star Trek rather than the things that really stand out, mm-hmm. which is usually opposite than the way you look at real life, <laughs> which is you tend to remember the things that stand out, not the repetitive stuff. But you look at a character like Deanna, and I've said it before on the show, like, oh, she was relegated all the time to just standing around saying the obvious this is how this person feels when you could tell anyway. But we've actually we've gotten past that. We don't really have that anymore where she's sort of useless on the bridge telling the captain something that he should be able to infer anyway. Um, and that's great. It, it shows a maturity in the writing and, and an embrace of that character and, and the multiple facets of that character rather than just relying on the same thing over and over again. We said the same thing about Ahura. There were times in that show you just look back and say, well, all she did was say hailing frequencies are open. Mm -hmm. But if you actually watch, she's doing more than that. And those are the things that really should stand out to us instead of just remembering the the repetitive nature of her character. Same thing for for any of the kind of secondary players on the shows. I would disagree with that a tiny bit. I think Troy had it worse earlier. Yeah. If somebody's going to be psychologically violated, it's going to be Troy. That's very different Mm -hmm. than I feel pain. Mm -hmm, Or that's mm -hmm. very different than he seems nervous. I mean, if somebody's going to be hurt, it was going to be Troy. It seemed mm-hmm. like for, for, for a lot of time. Other people might be threatened, but if somebody was actually going to be taken advantage of, if somebody was going to really be hurt, um, it was going to be Troy. The, the immediate one I think of is a man of the people. Sure. I, and there are plenty of others that I can't think sure. of right now. But, I mean, that's – I mean, I'm not just thinking that, oh, well, she does the same thing every time. That's Lieutenant Junior J. <laughs> it's more like <laughs> – She just walks into a room and that's it. Yeah. Right. We need something to open the show. Well – Get Lieutenant Junior J. Okay. <laughs> Walk her past the yeah. camera, and then we're into the show. Oh, okay. Well, good. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. There seem to be really standout, horrible times for Deanna, and I'm really glad to see that there are really standout, strong times for Deanna. Now, there's not a really standout, strong time for her in this episode, I don't think, but there were a couple of things that I noticed that were actually strong for her character. Um, she really keeps her head and we, and at times when other people kind of lose theirs in this episode. And, yeah, not to beat up on Jordy again. Mm-hmm. 
Another character who, yeah, right. But why not? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the same sort of thing does happen with them a lot. I mean, not with the... It, it, okay, like if there's a Geordie relationship episode, it's going to end poorly, uh, for example. And that seems to sort of be like over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, when they beam over to the Romulan ship, uh, Geordie pulls a phaser on the frozen Romulan aboard yeah. the Romulan ship. Yep. As if he did not expect Romulans on a Romulan ship. And as if he had forgotten the premise of the entire episode, which is, you know, everything's going to appear to be frozen. So Mm -hmm. even if he's pointing a disruptor straight at you, you've only got two hours to get out of the way. Yeah. So um, it was both Troy and Data that actually waved him off that. Um, I really like the fact, though, when Jordy is dying, I'm not just going to leave it there. When Jordy is dying, <laughs> I like Jordy. Are you kidding? We all do. Yeah, we I know. All do. Nobody wants to see him die. Uh, no. When Jordy is dying, although I did think, you know, sort of along the lines of last week, when um, when you said that they were going to kill Will Riker and have Thomas mm-hmm. Riker take his place, yeah, like I love the fact that Deanna did say, okay, so she puts him quickly into the other timeline where he will be frozen, and then she says, hopefully, we'll be able to take care of that later. Mm-hmm. It did occur to me in almost a Tashiar way if they had killed him there because we're going through and we're thinking everything's fine, everything's great. And if it turns out they hadn't been able to save him, that would have been like an interesting twist, especially on the decision that she made. Mm-hmm. But that's of course not the way it went. I do like the fact that she's able to keep her head about her because Data's immediate thought, maybe because Jordy is his best friend, or maybe because we have to do a little bit of bones gumbification to make him do something stupid so that Deanna can do something smart. Right. Data's immediate thought is we have to get him to the runabout because his thinking there is the runabout is safety. The runabout is a place that we're going to be able to do something. And Deanna's like, no, he's going to die there too. And so she just puts him on pause at that point. It's actually Mm -hmm. a very Vulcan way to be. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. And this thing, this person that she knows uh, is about to die. But all she's going to do by trying to help him is watch him die and then all the other stuff that's going to hell around her is going to go ahead and go to hell around her. Yeah. I really like the fact that that she was the one with the presence, with the with the wherewithal, with the with the third thing that means those two things <laughs> to to take off his armband and just say, "Okay, yeah, he's in trouble, but we're going to leave him in trouble for a minute because we got other trouble that we need to take care of." She pulled a Spock and she froze his Katra for when they needed it later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Are we allowed to say Katra on this show? I think so. I think so. Might have to bleep it out. We'll see. Um, no, I, I like that description a lot. Uh, of, and again, it just points to you take an episode like this where it, it's essentially an ensemble piece and Picard has his standout moments. But I think what we're getting to in this segment of our show is how good an episode this is for Deanna Troy, because she really gets to stand out here. And it's kind of exciting to see that in an episode that was probably not written as a Deanna episode. Like, I don't think there's anybody, I don't think Brandon was saying, man, how can we really highlight her here? Yeah. Because we had great moments with her before, obviously, Face of the Enemy, where it really is her show. Um, but this one, she gets a lot of the cool stuff to do. And like you said, shows the, the presence of mind um, beyond, what the, uh, beyond what the others are doing. The other thing that occurred to me um, watching these characters is that we're seeing a uh, wink of an eye but from their perspective. <laughs> so hmm. it's kind of nice where we, we, you know, go back to the original series, wink of an eye. And instead of, you know, seeing the aliens come at us with the buzzing and, and just uh, the idea that they're all moving at super fast speeds around us. And then a few of those cast members get to move. You know, Kirk obviously is in their time frame at a certain point. Uh, obviously he would not have, uh, gotten to know Dila the way he did if he wasn't moving at their speed. But this is kind of cool that we're seeing the universe from the perspective that they would in this episode. So it definitely reminded me of that episode in that respect. Holy cow. Picard is the buzzing alien. He is. He is. Lucky him. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 240, Timescape. It's time for us to talk about, um, well, to sum up Timescape, I suppose, because this is the part of the episode where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings of a given show and ask whether the episode stands the test of 
time. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> I put it to you, Mr. Champion. Uh, Timescape, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I, th- this episode goes back to the heart uh, of one of those classic Star Trek morals. And it, it, here, I mean, th- this is an episode where even in our last segment, I feel like we've come across a few episodes like this where either there's so little to actually talk about mm-hmm. that we just sort of rush to the end of, of our podcast um, to, to get to this part, to get the summary, or there's a lot at heart there, but there's not necessarily a lot to debate. You know, we, we can't really pick apart somebody's decisions and say, well, should they have done this? Should they have done that? No, th- this episode is really tightly written. It's intriguing and engaging. But for our purposes, this is what it's really about. It's really about the wrap-up and the morals, meanings, messages. There's not stuff to really kick around because I think they get everything out that they need to get out on screen, and they get it out in a really solid kind of adventure show, sci-fi adventure show, you know? We get to see Mm. the Enterprise blow up, and that's always dramatic and fantastic. And then we get to watch it happen in reverse, and your mind is blown again. Um, But really what's at heart here is that classic Star Trek moral that enemies aren't always enemies, that they may be misunderstood. So we go back to our old favorite, the Corbomite Maneuver, or uh, Devil in the Dark, you know? In this case, we have a scientific problem which we're unaware of that needs to be solved. We also had the assumption about what's going on with the Romulans that needs to be addressed and kind of learning what the reality is of the situation with the Romulans. So both plot lines reinforce a sort of learning something new and, and moving on from there. Um, so there is something here that's very purely Star Trek in telling that message to people, but just as a production it's really nicely done. This feels like, I mean, Adam Nimoy's other episode was Rascals. And mm-hmm. we didn't hate Rascals. No, but I actually loved Rascals. Rascals is one of my favorites. Not one of my top ten, but I mean, it's a, it's a great TNG episode. No, well, right, right, right. But, but I, I think that that show is sort of looked like, oh, it's the one with the kids. <laughs> you right. know, so it can kind of get unfairly brushed aside like that. This is night and day where you have this very high stakes, high concept uh, thing happening that you, you do have to wrap your mind around, well, what is happening technically, but also what is at stake for the Enterprise crew, what's at stake for the Romulans, and what's at stake for those time-shifting aliens. So all of that pulls together nicely, and again, at a good clip to to fit all of that into the you know 48 minutes that we've got, I think it plays out really nicely. So I, I was I was pleasantly surprised to revisit this. I remembered the episode, but this is one of those that I enjoyed more and more each time on a rewatch. Um, how about you? How did you feel? Well, mostly I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's, it's well, it's it's well executed. It's I mean, it's very well executed. And there are wonderful moments, like Picard's laughter seems real when he's drawn that you know oh, face yeah. in the in the plasma. And I yeah. loved I loved the face in the plasma. Right. Honestly, right, thought it was fantastic. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of a glare on my screen the the first time I watched it, mm-hmm. and so I kind of had to squint. But <laughs> when I watched it again, <laughs> one of the other times I watched it, it just shows up you know clear as day. And I love that. It's it's a that's such a cute like absurd thing mm-hmm. to have him do. Um, so that's great. I think I do have a bit of problem though. I don't know that. I mean, it's only Corbomite maneuver or really it's only devil in the dark to a point point. Hmm. and devil in the dark. We are killing the Hordas kids. Hmm. We don't know that we're doing that, but we are mm-hmm. right because we've wandered into where they live. We've wandered into the Hordas domain and found these things and we don't know what we're doing. And so we're just, we're, we're, we're screwing up our ecosystem mm-hmm. and we learn and we adapt and that's good, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, there may be a horde revolution somewhere down the road, but we're not going to worry about that right now. You know, right now things seem to be going well. Good band name, by the way. Uh, horde revolution. Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. my five-year mission cover band. Mm. That's a solid choice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you mm-hmm. very much. Um, the, the problem that I have in this episode is the aliens accidentally laid their eggs in an unsafe place, right? Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. okay with that, except what the aliens are going to do is destroy one or both ships for the good of their young. Now, I think you want to do what you can do to protect your young, no question. But 
and I see the obvious parallel between this and Devil in the Dark. There is a misunderstanding, and their young are going to be destroyed. But the difference is we wandered into the Horda's house and screwed up their stuff, and we had to learn, and we had right. to adapt. These things wandered into our house, <laughs> and for the sake of their well-being, they're willing to destroy the Enterprise and the Romulan ship. Mm-hmm. And that and you, so you, you kind of lose me there. Well, I no, I, <laughs> I, I, I get far, it. You kind of lose me. I, I get why it would lose you there, but I, you know what? The, the thing about the Horda is, we know we have to assume that it's not a highly evolved animal when it comes to intellect and complex thought. Spock reads simple emotions from the Horda: pain, fear, uh, love for its offspring. You know these very very simple things. These other aliens clearly have a very complex way of understanding the universe. Um, I, I'm not saying that's an excuse for I was them. Going to say that their complexity makes it okay to kill me. Then no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not saying it's an excuse for their actions that it's okay for them to kill. I'm saying that from the perspective of the show, and the show's written from the perspective of the Enterprise crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a lesser extent here, the Romulan crew, because we're cooperating with them, it sort of raises the complexity and then raises the stakes of what they have to do. So with the Horda, you could kind of just go, oh, OK, this is a mother protecting its young. We're going to back off. In this episode, there there is that little bit of the through line in the most simplistic terms that we're having to understand these beings protecting their young. Mm-hmm. But it is a more complex way that we have to arrive at that. It's a more complex way to have to understand what they're doing and what the stakes are and how we have to act to hopefully save them as well as save ourselves. This has nothing to do with saving them. They're going to be fine no matter what happens. The question is, are we going to be able to save ourselves? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, either we're going to save the Romulans by getting them to the Enterprise and we're going to save the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Or everybody's going to die, and those alien things are going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, either way, we end up with what what it seems to me is a very unsympathetic alien race. And I'm thinking, like, uh, only because, I mean, because once they realize their mistake, their solution is to stop the Enterprise at all costs. And if that means destroying the Enterprise, so be it. Yeah. Because they have to do what they have to do. And... Generally speaking, that's not a very Star Trek message. And so it strikes me as, I mean, I I get wanting to lump them in with the Horda, but it's a very different thing. Because once they understand their mistake, well, then we're going to have to salt the earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I do get where you're coming from. I, I didn't come away with as bad an impression. Mm. But but I but I understand. I, I understand where you're coming from. I really do. Well, I'm not, I, I mean, really do. Not, I don't I don't like hate them now or anything. And I don't think the episode is ruined. It just it just something that I sort of when we're getting to the end and we're all, you know, clapping each other on the back for a job well done. I mean, these yeah, these yeah. aliens still kind of acted in, in kind of a reprehensible sort of way. Yeah, no, I know. I, I realize I realize you might. Uh, let's say if you're passing one on the street, you might kind of give them the side eye a little bit. I get that. <laughs> I got that. You may well, look askance at them. Yeah. Hey, listen, do me a favor. As I'm passing by on the street, if it yep. seems like I'm going to be in your way, don't push me into traffic. <laughs> that, that's yeah. kind of what I'm saying. Maybe yeah. you say, excuse yeah. me, or maybe we try mm-hmm. to figure out a way that we can both pass each other without one of us dying. Might be good, kind of a cool thing. Good plan. Good plan. Is that the message you took away? No, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. Um, I think you and I both actually hit the same message. Um, yeah. Even the most obvious things are worthy of investigation or, yeah. you know, put more simply, don't just take things at face value. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly looks like the Warbird and the Enterprise are locked in battle, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Even on the ship, it looks like the Romulans and the Starfleet crew are fighting, but they're not. Uh, time is not even frozen. It sure looks like time is frozen, but it's not. Those guys that are still walking around look like Romulans, but they're actually, uh, you know, temporal aliens displaced or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the aliens think the quantum singularity powering the warbird is a black hole, but it isn't. Nothing is necessarily exactly what it seems. I mean, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, mm-hmm. right? But not always. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just assuming that everything is as it seems is not necessarily a, a, a safe way to go at all times. Anyway, that's what I got. What about you? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. This episode sort of goes against one of the tools that I think intellectually we should always use, which is Occam's Razor, which is a very 
sometimes abused and misunderstood rule, uh, people take it to mean that the simplest answer is always the correct answer, which is not exactly what it means. It means that the answer that requires the least amount of new information is more likely going to be the correct answer. This episode flies in the face of that because, as you pointed out, you're saying the most obvious things aren't uh, aren't always the, the, the correct answer. I wrote down nearly the same thing. Things aren't always as they appear. Sometimes the obvious answer isn't the correct one, as we learn over and over and over again. I, I like that the perception of the crew, well, the, the four of the crew that we're following here, has to shift. They have to learn that what they're seeing is not what they think it is at first. Um, I, I think that's one of the key elements of this episode. And then I think learning that the aliens aren't simply there to take over their time frame and disrupt their way of living, that there is a mission there that goes beyond that. They are protecting their young, um, that the, there is something to be learned and gained from that. So um, I, I think they're all they're all valuable lessons. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that we kind of came to similar takes on that. So does it hold up? Sure. <laughs> when it does. Yes. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. I mean, it's, yes. it's, a, it's, it's still a good episode. I mean, the thing is, we're going through and I don't know if we're finding messages in it or if we're applying messages to it. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that this is, for the most part, just a 48 minute space opera. With you know, mm-hmm. with a little mm-hmm. bit of um, mind bleepery as far as the whole time thing is concerned, mm-hmm. and yes, the fact that the aliens are not here to take over they they have accidentally blundered into our time frame, um, just you know theoretically minding their own business. My only concern with them is, well, then they're going to kill whoever they have to to go ahead and finish whatever they were doing and then leaving. <laughs> but, I mean, they didn't come with nefarious purpose. They came because they thought, hey, look, a black hole that'll take us places. Oh, no. Turns out it's a Romulan ship, and this is no place to raise a baby. That's, wow, a Romulan ship is no place to raise a baby. I think that <laughs> might be the ultimate takeaway from this message. Uh, no, I, I think that... Um, Here's the thing. You're saying it's a 48-minute space opera with cool space things happening. Um, in any less talented hands, that would be what we got. But you have to think that given the the entirety of the staff who were there at this time in 1993, and this is Brandon's episode, but you've also got Jerry Taylor and Michael Piller, and Brandon wrote very often with Ronald D. Moore. We have all these hands in this saying like, okay, well— this could be an episode where you've got these two ships locked in battle, but because it's Star Trek, maybe they're not in battle. Maybe they're helping each other. And you could end up in, in a sense where the aliens just simply die at the end. But what if we take it the next step because it's Star Trek and we say, well, we're actually saving these aliens because of these actions. You know, I, I like to think that their process is kind of along those lines. You can start with the space opera and you do if you get nothing else from this episode, you get cool space opera action. No doubt about it. I I, I love that shot of the Enterprise blowing up and then going in reverse. I love all the stuff happening like the uh, the the disruptor discharging and then coming backwards. I I think that's all fantastic stuff. But Mm -hmm. because it's Star Trek, they're going to take it a step further and we end up something that that has some some valuable lessons in it. Now that, my friend, is why we do this show. I hate to believe at this point, but I still disagree with you on one thing. What's that? I don't think we save the aliens. You don't think so? I think... <sighs> because remember, the, the Romulan ship phases out of that time scale. That was going to happen anyway. That yeah. was that, That's my problem. That was going to happen anyway. Either the aliens were going to blow up the Enterprise, mm-hmm. stop the power transfer and have their children mm-hmm. or we were going to get everybody off the inter- off the Romulan ship save the enterprise and still they were going to phase out and still everything was going to go the way they were going to go i don't think that like i mean it, this may honestly be a plot hole in the writing and i don't want to fault the writing cuz this is a well written episode for the most mm-hmm. part but we didn't save them they were going to do what they were going to do either way and that's kind of why i'm that's kind of why i'm soured on these aliens hmm. well somebody got Brandon on the phone because uh, I want to know what happened to those time-shifting alien babies. 
Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Have we mentioned that there's a ton of stuff that Roddenberry is up to? Well, there are two things we'd love for you to check out. First of all, Roddenberry.com to find out more about the stuff that they do that's not podcast related. But Roddenberry doesn't just have one podcast. No, no, no. They're tied in with three now, Women at Warp and Priority One. And you can find out about those shows and ours at podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support our show, patreon.com slash mission log is an excellent way to do that and to find out more. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, decent. Sorry, descent. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Sorry about earlier. Temporal displacement seems to be sort of an issue today. And transmission. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. 